it's Sabrina Hahn and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA who make very high grade premium calcium bentonite clay which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentonitewa.com.au. What dig that? Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Sabrina, g'day. Well, hello, Jamie. I, I noticed that uh, this week's podcast, you've given me the big kahuna. I have. To hold. We're speaking about the microphone. Just want everyone to be, <laughs> to be clear who can't, who can't, who can't see this. Uh, we're somewhere pretty special today, doing something a bit different, our we first are. live podcast. Yeah. We're, um, we're at the fantastic Kalamunda Garden Festival. How good. So um, there's plants. Yeah. There's food. Lots of food. Lots of food. There's fungi. Yeah. There's fun guys as well. I've seen a few of them about. Fungi, fun guys. Yep. Yeah, uh, put me in that there's category. Artists yep. for all the stuff you want to put in your garden. Uh, there's us. Yeah, there's us. <laughs> pretty important. And not only that, we've got friends. We've got a few mates in here. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's, uh, who's joined us today. Give yourself a little round of applause for being here. Does that sounds impressive, doesn't it? We like the live ones, don't we? Yeah, it's good fun to yeah. see a few people looking back at us. Um, I was just taking a wander around before. You've been busy. You're popular at things like this. Yeah. Everyone wants to say good day and ask yeah. a few questions. We're yeah. going to do a bit of that. But while you were in here giving a talk earlier, I was out there having a bit of a wander, mm. learning a few things. Yep. Yep. Did you buy any plants? Well, not yet because didn't have anywhere to put them. Oh, okay. But I'm going to go out and grab a few things. What Pretty should I sure. grab? Uh, well, flowering plants for a start. Right. Because um, your beautiful wife, Nat's here. She is. And, and she deserves beautiful flowering plants. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and if you get flowering plants, you get other friends as well, like insects. Right, so that turn come. that garden into a bit of a habitat. Absolutely. That's what we're all about here. Yeah, I did see that actually. Some, uh, some edible plants, mm. some stuff that you can turn into tucker, a few natives like that. There was a, a few stalls around that kind of vibe earlier. Yep, there's actually a lot of interest in growing your own food now because right. people are worried about what's on the food we eat, um, how food miles, where it, you know, how far it has to travel. And the thing I love about this Kalamunda Garden Festival is it brings the whole community together. So all these kinds of markets actually highlight the talent that's in the area that you live in the food that's being grown in the area you live in and the money goes straight to the producer or the artist or... So it's a really... You know, in Europe, markets play a, a central role in um, bringing communities together and getting fresh stuff to people. You get that feeling here in Kalamunda too. It's a pretty, pretty community-centric place. You can yeah. feel that walking around for sure. Yep. Absolutely. I, I kind of, I sort of, when you come to a market, you go, oh, why buy just one tub of honey? Let's get three. Yeah, is that what you've done today? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. All food. I'm attracted. I'm a bit like insects when they see a colour zone that they love. Well, I see food or plants and I just never go away empty handed. You need to bring a pack horse with you. <laughs> That's what you need. 
You need you need someone to carry heavy stuff. I don't know if there's enough room for a pack horse here. No, actually. but I, you know, I, I, was, I went to uh, south of France once, and they were bragging. doing a, a medieval. You're bragging. Yeah. A medieval festival, but they had oxen and a cart made out of like. I don't know if you've ever seen six oxen go through a small narrow marketplace. Uh, with a very heavy wooden cart behind it, they take up a lot of room. I bet they do. And they have massive big horns. I was going to say, with them walking around, it's a bit like the police horses when you see them. Yep. Th- you've got to be careful where you walk. Yeah. <laughs> Just if they've had a feed in the middle of the day. There was a lot of hay. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and not just hay, but, you know, the other hay. Yeah, the other kind, mm. the tasty one. Perhaps we should suggest it to Andrew, who organises the uh, Kalamunda Garden <laughs> Festival. Getting the thumbs up. Yeah. Who yeah. wants to see a couple of oxen next year or just a few <laughs> pack horses? Yeah, okay. I think we've got a f- lots of doggos around here, which has got me excited today. Yep, people bring their doggies. We've got... We met a, I met a dog earlier on today called Zach. Right. And... Uh, so I was telling Zach, look, Zach knows his ears are pricked up. Zach's so I, in the audience. Yep. So I was saying to Zach, the um, little, what sort of dog is he? He's a Tenterfield Terrier. Thought so. That um, he could be trained to actually sniff out mole crickets, dig them up and eat them. Is that, is that a, honestly, I don't know if that's a joke. Is no, that, no, no. That's this true? For real. I've got a friend that's got a dog that's very similar and we've actually videoed him digging up mole crickets and eating them. Right. So it's a true thing. So it's not just circus dogs that can do tricks. It's calamander dogs as well. All right. <laughs> Zach's on to it. We're going to be back here next season with the Calamander Festival and we'll, Zach will have his own little showcase area, I reckon, <laughs> teaching other dogs how to do it. Um, hey, Sab, we'll talk more about this festival, what it means to communities, a few other things as we get into it. But I think one of the things... Uh, that's good about today and having a few people here mm. is uh, is helping out and asking a few questions, getting some answers. So what do you reckon? Yeah, I think we'll see if... Um, I, I like it when I get stumped. Yeah, that's the test today. Whoever yeah. stumps Sabrina mm. gets her for a day for free in your garden. Is that right, Jane? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't... I, don't. <laughs> I really don't think that is right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Not if, for a whole day. If we can't get Sabrina, then I'll be there and I'll make it worse than when it started. So It'll cost you more in wine. I can bring free beers. That's about all I'm good for. Free beers. Free well, beers. That'll do. That'll do. Uh, who's going to be the first cab off the rank, though? Who wants to get in early and uh, try and stump Sabrina and, and ask a couple of questions today? Can you tell us your name? Yeah. Um, my name's Emma. I'm Emma. You've met me with Damien from Millbrook. Yes, I have indeed. The wine. Um, we've got a mulberry tree we planted about two years ago. Um, but around the corner is a white, is it Chatouche? Yes. Mulberry. Um, and we're just wondering, can we graft onto our typical normal mulberry, the Chatouche? Yes, you absolutely. Can? No problems. Mulberries graft really easily. Okay. So the best time to do it is very early in the spring. Okay. So just before they start shooting, because the sap it starts to flow. Okay. So and um, and they the, the graft. So you just need to do a V wedge graft. It's a very simple graft, uh, and it'll take really easily. And have you seen those grafting scissors now? Have you tried yeah. them? Do they They're, work? Yeah, the grafting clamps. Yeah, yeah, because then you get exactly the right cut. Because the big thing about grafting is you've got to have the cambium layers 
must be touching each other. They they like to be in love with each other. It's like a passionate, a passionate little enclave there happening within the cambium layer. Tell me more. A little bit of meshing of the xylem and the phloem. It's a beautiful thing. But yeah, easy to do, Emma. Easy and then do you just do. wrap it with? Um, yeah, the use white. grafting tape. Yep. Some people um, just use Glad wrap. But grafting tape's better. It's a lot stronger. Okay. And you can get it in different widths. Okay, I'll try that. Beauty. Beautiful. Great question. Yeah. Um, what else falls into that category? Pretty easy to graft and get Lot, going. Well, you know, in back in the olden days, in your nonna's day. Nonna's times, yeah. yeah. Um, I have did, a nonna, just in case anyone hasn't <laughs> heard about that a million times before. Yeah. They did a lot of grafting. So... Because people grew stuff from seed. So they grew all their fruit trees from seed, yeah. not from nurseries. So you'd get a particular peach or nectarine or orange that was sensational. So they'd take whatever that was and graft it on a crappy old fruit tree they didn't like that much. Knowing kind of my Italian family, that would have been a cost thing, just trying to save us some money, <laughs> I reckon. With no, 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 no. Why pay when I get for free? That's what they say. I, well, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a good thing. Grafting is heaps of fun. You can graft native plants, fruit trees, you know, all the new native plants now that you see at the, things like the Botanic Garden plant sales. They're starting to graft a lot of the really hard-to-grow West Australian species onto hardy rootstock so that we can have those plants in our garden now. Because some, you know, the thing about West Australian flora is it's, it's used to having a tough life. So very little nutrients, hardly any rainfall, they're tough little sausages. So when we put them in our gardens and we reticulate them and fertilise them, they quite often go, this is a bit cushy, I'll just die now. <laughs> You've got to give it, you need a hard life to survive. We've got another question from the. Would you, yeah, would you come like up to the uh, come, come up, up to, to the, the mic. microphone? Yeah, great dreadlocks, by the no, way. No, you don't Thank have you to be much. quick. You can be oh, as well, long as you like. It's not a question. It's more of just a, a, a bit more um, example on from what you were saying. So my nonna, as well. Now I've got one question regarding nonnas. Okay. Whose cooking's better? Oh. Everyone's own nonna is the best cook, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, but I would love to try out your nonna's cooking and I'd love to have you around <laughs> you at my what? nonna's let's, place. Let's do it. Bowls are on me. All right. Awesome. <laughs> so um, what I was just getting back to was the, the grafting technique. So instead of the budding tape at, um, that most people were using, my nonna used to use the citrus leaves. Right. Oh. So she would actually, after making the cut, yeah. she would then wrap the leaf around and then just tie them off both ends because, again, it wasn't about um, uh, buying stuff and looking flash. It was about saving everything you possibly could. That's it. And they would just do that. And then when the leaf has sort of mottled away and changed a little bit, then you could just peel it across and you, you'll actually see the fusion happening. And it was just a really good technique and something going back old. So the, the old grapevine knives used to be her, um, her grafting blades. And yep, yep. Yeah, so I've still yep. got some really old ones. It's just, it's just really good to see the that techniques awesome. have slightly changed, but, the, but where they come from was just an yep. amazing thing to see. That is fantastic. It and is. All, see, the thing is... Sorry, what's your name? My name is Mark. Mark. The interesting thing is, when we look at what our grandparents and great-grandparents did, they actually did it by trial and error mm -hmm. because they would trial different methods and they'd talk to other gardeners and say, 
you know, I've, I've done this and I've found that successful and they shared all that information. Absolutely, yes. And that's what gardeners do, they share. So we are actually the saviours of the planet as yeah. gardeners. Well, they bring that unity back to community. Yep. And, that's, um, and that's something that, that we are fostering now and trying to, trying to uh, project and to get out to the next generation. So yep. it's just really good to see it cyclically happening yep. and slight evolving um, yep. and going on and then going back to where it started from again. Yep. Is that where it started for you, Mark, in Nordner's Garden, yeah, the, the love and passion for it? Absolutely. So Dad would drop us off over on the, uh, on the Sunday and he'd say, I won't see you because he'd be off doing the race cars. <laughs> and then I'd just go and disappear into the backyard with Noddle and, and he would take me around and he'd whack me with everything. Yeah. until I figured out what it was. <laughs> and when you study horticulture and then you go back and you're watching your grandparents do it, the, it is chalk and cheese. Yep. So I would sit there and cut certain things in particular ways at certain times. My nonna would just come past and just karate chop. Go bang, yeah. <laughs> and then just jam it in somewhere and say, look, if you do 50 of them, one will strike. Yeah. <laughs> so again, going back, Miss Sabrina, about what you were saying about um, uh, uh, sharing of knowledge, it was all the Europeans, yep. and there was no one that came in, even if you were Asian or if you were Anglo, it doesn't matter at all, they would all show you, and you would leave needing to have a, a, um, a bison train, yep. basically. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Totally Throw you back out before you even get home to plant them back in, so it was just a wonderful thing, and that's what I really, really enjoyed. And again, Andrew, thank you very much for doing this again this is fantastic. So we're from Wanneroo and we've yes. driven up here and we do this oh, every wow. single time to come up here and show our support for such a wonderful community and that's just what we want to do is just share and give the oh. information. Fantastic. That is awesome. So, thank you everyone for taking up all your time. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got a, yeah. How good's that? You must hear that a lot as well, where uh, a love for kind of getting amongst the dirt starts yep. with being in your grandparents' backyard or your parents' backyard, yep. all that stuff. Well, that's where mine came from, um, from my grandmother. And it's really interesting when we look at how, how everything worked back then because you could not go to a nursery or a shop and get stuff. And where I grew up in isolated areas... There, you couldn't go down to the supermarket and buy food. So you either grew it or you didn't eat it, basically. Yeah. So people shared produce. But the thing I love about that, you know, exactly what Mark was talking about, is people experimented a lot because they trialled different things and they love to fiddle. So my motto to all gardeners is you have to fiddle more. Fiddling is such a lovely thing to do in the garden. And I know this is called Dirty Deeds and I don't want it going to another <laughs> part of society that we're not interested in. But Sabrina but has given you permission to fiddle, so it's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So trial different stuff. You know, my, my grandmother grafted all her tomatoes. No one grafts tomatoes now in their own home garden because there'd be, you know, a couple of varieties that she absolutely loved. And people would collect seed from their orange tree and grow a tree from seed. You know, people go, I've had people say, oh, can you grow, can you grow oranges and lemons from seed? It's like, that's why they're there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point, though, about the trial and error, because I think a lot of people, if something goes wrong particularly early doors, yep. then they get disappointed and it's yep. frustrating and, yep. you know, I'm not going to do it again. But that's part of it, making a few mistakes 
Maybe killing a few things but not doing it next time. Yeah, absolutely. That's how you learn. But also that teaches you about life. Not everything's going to survive and thrive. So, you know, take a lesson from that, kiddies, because your parents are going to pop off one day. Uh, <laughs> hopefully. I'm sure my children are thinking hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jess is just looking through the window now. I mean, she's that's what you're talking about. But it's really good for kids to see that. You know, they'll put a seed in the ground and it grows and then it dies. Well, that's, that's what happens, you know. It's, it's all part of the circle of life. Where was that little isolated place with your grandma where you were growing up, growing things? Well, well the most isolated, I think, was New Guinea. Really? Um, and then we lived uh, about 30 miles back in the olden days. What's a mile? Yeah. It's yeah. a long bloody way from Daniloquin, which is... Sort of not near anything, really. <laughs> it's its own. <laughs> sort of then we moved from there to a place near uh, Merry War, which is in central New South Wales. Uh, then we lived north of the Daly River up in Queensland. Then we lived uh, in Cancoban, which is now all underwater because that's a snowy mountain river scheme now. Um, and then we went from there to near northern New South Wales, near a place called Imbril. So we kind of moved around a bit. Uh, it was interesting gardening from New Guinea to the Snowy Mountains, uh, just slightly different <laughs> climate. Yeah, <laughs> just to change things up. <laughs> but where my nan's garden was, it was near Diniloquent. Right. A beautiful garden. Yeah. Beautiful. And now you're here and we're thankful for that. Um, any more questions? Yeah. We'll so we'll, we'll pop up. Yeah, pop up to the mic. Thanks so much. We love it when we have live questions. It's good, isn't it? Mm. And just everyone's getting a bit of exercise having to go up there too. You can pull the microphone down to your Perfect. head height. Yes. Yeah. Hi, my name's Sarah. Um, I live locally and obviously uh, fire, bushfire risk, very yep. high. Um, got lots of um, grass trees in yep. the yard. Uh, what, what's the thinking on taking off the dead skirts underneath? Yep. Does that damage them or...? Okay, so if you uh, under prune the skirts off them, it doesn't harm the grass tree at all. The xantheria, it's not going to do any harm, except for the critters that live in the skirt. So if you have a look under there, you'll see that there's lots of little insects that harbour and live in there. So, okay. so if I do sort of 80% and yeah, leave 20% of the critters? Yeah, and, and leave the rest. And that, um, of course, that when there's a fire, that, that dry skirt is what accelerates the, the heat um, and keeps the fire burning in it for quite some time. It's quite spectacular to see uh, grass trees go up. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that, and it's toxic as well, is that right? The, um, well, I wouldn't stand things? over and breathe in the smoke. The, <laughs> no, the glue in it's quite... Of course, it was very important, the... The glue Aboriginal people use to for their tool making, um, so that resin that comes out of the the grass tree is is quite a good glue. It's a bit like araldite, really, olden day araldite. Right. Mm. There you go. Handy. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And there's another question at the back there. We've got a couple of hipsters in our audience today. We love getting hipsters in. See, gardening's not just for the old, like myself. For the young hip kids too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. totally. What's your name? Calling myself hip isn't that hip. <laughs> I'm Hamish. 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 
Beautiful um, I've man. I've got a question about germinating. Pull your germinating. microphone up, Hamish. You're oh, a sorry. nice tall lad. There about germinating acacia seeds. Yes. <clears throat> yep. I just got a whole bunch of acacia cyclops seeds. Yep. And I've read that you meant to scarify them before yep. germination. Yep. Now, acacia cyclops have these white, uh, little orange tails. Tails, on them. yep. Now, I'm worried if I scarify them, it's going to start taking all those tails yep. off. Is that going to affect my germination? Yes. So, acacia cyclops, that little yellow tail mm. actually allows water to penetrate the outside of the seed husk. Okay. So, with those, you can just heat treat them. So, so you, no scarification needed You won't all. need to scarify it. But if you do scarify it, you do it on the other end. Okay. Um, so, if you're going to scarify seeds, if you're just doing, say, 20, 30 or 50, you just get a nail file and rub it along the nail file. But Cyclops actually germinates easily just from hot water treatment rather than scarification. Oh, so, awesome. boil the water. Boil! So boil the water and then leave it for five minutes and then you put the seed in and leave it for six hours. Anything that floats usually doesn't have an embryo, so it's not going to... There's nothing in... There's okay. no babies there. <laughs> um, so you may as well ditch them. So six hours, hot water treatment, and they'll germinate. Awesome. Thanks. My pleasure. Good question. Yeah, Sabrina's still yet to be stumped, so that day in the garden's still an offer. <laughs> Prize may not be available, uh, but the beers certainly. Uh, here we go. Here's a question that might stump you, Sabrina. You've done well. I think you're four from four so far. Yeah, not doing too bad. Yeah. It, just on seed and seed collection, it's so exciting growing stuff from seed. I still get excited, and I'm like, I've been around since the dinosaurs were on the planet. True story. So, yes. Mm. I'm looking bloody good, though, I have to admit. I mean, you know. You're Hello. Look out, My boys. seat just keeps getting a little closer. Just, <laughs> you're not even noticing. Nat's worried. Just in the corner. She's got the, the eyes on me. You have nothing to fear. <laughs> but that feeling of seeing something from nothing, right? Yeah. Yep. But, well, it's life, isn't it? It's like, you know, for me, it's equivalent to when you see a, a little embryo baby that's mm. starting to form. You know, the embryo in a seed. Seeds have everything they need for survival in that tiny Weenie little package. It is astonishing. Is that a good way to get kids into stuff too? Yeah, definitely. I know you need a bit of patience. but I reckon the best seed story I've ever got Hello. was because um, I work in remote uh, Aboriginal communities up in the Kimberley. And so we were thinking about what we'd put in for the wet season crop. Sorry, sir, oh, we'll get right. to you in a minute. Um, so I took up some raw peanuts and the, the thing about peanuts is in a hot climate, they germinate within three to four hours. So I got the kids to put the peanuts in the garden bed. I bought a whole pile because most of them they ate. Um, so some got put in the ground. Yeah. So we did that before school started. Then I bought them out after lunch and we dug the little seed up and... They'd already germinated. The little root was there. That fast? Yep. Wow. But even better still, the plant grows, it flowers, and then you get the peg that comes from the flower and dives down into the ground, and that's where the peanuts grow. Really? Yeah. How astonishing. Kids love it. The education department, however, were not so keen that I was growing peanuts in a school. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, because everyone's allergic to everything, right. None of those children had any allergies to peanuts. Yeah. And it's a great protein crop for them. But anyway, I, got, go. I got smacked on the wrist severely. No more peanuts. Yeah. Um, g'day, what's your name? Uh, g'day, Jamie. Sabrina, I'm Nick. Hello, um, Nick. Sabrina, do you have an opinion on the use of biochar in the home garden? The use of biochar? Yeah. Yep. So biochar is a, um, a great byproduct that is very useful as a soil conditioner. Um, it certainly, I, I would say that it probably uh, encourages microbial activity. I should imagine that soil microbes would would really like it. It's a it's a product that's usually wasted. So any of those inputs into our very nutrient poor soils that helps to hold nutrients and moisture is definitely worthwhile putting in your in your garden beds. Yep. Particularly your veggies and your fruit trees. So generally positive. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Can I sneak a second question in? Yep. Yeah. Um, the use of iron chelate pellets for snail, slater and slug control. Yes. At some point, could it become toxic to plants no. in your garden? The, the amount of iron in there it breaks down very quickly. It's so minimal, it's not going to harm anything in your garden. Right. Apart from the snails, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the slugs. It'd be a shame yeah. to waste a beer on them, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> bloody hell. Well, I don't know. See, I, I actually I think beer traps are really, really good because, number one, you have to open either a can or a bottle of beer, don't you? It's Takes the guilt beer. away. They're, they're, it's a natural product. Yeah. Um, your, you know, the yeast and hops in there is marvellous mm. for the soil, I'm sure but even better for yourself. So it's like you're putting a health tonic in your own body, health tonic for... It's a lovely way for snails to die, drowning in beer. That's how I want to go. <laughs> not just yet. And you're not doing any harm to anything else. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Thank no you, worries. Nick. Um, one of the things I liked about today was having a look around and seeing stuff that I wouldn't normally see yep. as well. Is that is that something that you love about these these kind of festivals and has there been anything that's caught your eye today, Sab? Absolutely. It's been a little different. I think I've spent, I've only spent up to $200 today, which is pretty... It's not bad for you. Well, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I go hunting for plants that you don't see much of. Now, this is the thing about festivals, and in particular the Kalamunda Garden Festival. So there's something like 17 plant uh, stalls here. Now, they all specialise in different types of things. So there are plants that you will find at places like this, markets like this, that are really rare, that are no longer grown by nurseries. And they're the little things I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like a bee to nectar. I just zoom in and think, I never look at the price. I want it, I buy it. Right. And, um, You're a stall's best friend. I'm definitely a stall's best friend. Um, so it's those plants we need to keep in the system. It's like all the old-fashioned fruit trees, the old varieties, the heritage varieties of all the vegetables have much more flavour than the modern ones, are usually far less susceptible to uh, disease attack in particular. They've been around for a long time. So those sorts of things are really important to, 
to snavel up when you come to markets like this. Has anyone found something different today, something unique that they weren't? Yeah, yep. a few hands in the air there, part of the yep. appeal of today. What did you find? What did you find? Oh, oh, he's, oh he's, we've got show and tell. I like it. A bit hard to see from back here. It's, um, is it a little tiny succulent or? Uh, it's an astro, so it's an oh. astro cacti. Ah. Don't see them around no. in any nurseries or anything like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw so. it and it was $5. I know. It's cheap as chips. There you go. Cheap yeah. as He would have paid double. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Triple, mate. Triple. Easy. Easy. But the great thing about that is that, you know, there's growers out there that are keeping those plants in our system. And it's really, really important to support yeah. them. Because I'm telling you now, biodiversity, we are losing it at such an alarming rate. And unless we change all our practices, where it's not man versus world... Because that's what we're doing at the moment. It's man versus world. So we put ourselves above every other system, ecosystem, and above every other species that's on this planet. And it is definitely going to be to our detriment. So as gardeners, part of our role must be to actually put habitat back, particularly into urban spaces. Because without that that whole, all that network of systems that is involved in biodiversity, we are buggered. Can you make a difference yourself at your place? Does it all help? Absolutely. Every single, every single gardener should look at their... They should become like the David Attenborough of their, of their little space that they call their garden. So the... The bigger the diversity of plants you have, the greater the diversity of insect and every other life that will come and visit your garden. The greater the things like humic acid, we're putting in compost, we use mulch, that increases the biodiversity of the soil. So we have to look at soil as a living, a massive, huge living organism. It's like the skin on our body. We forget the role that soil plays. We, if we use herbicides, pesticides, we destroy the biodiversity in the soil as well. So we have to think about the soil like the skin of our body. It will get saggy and depleted at some points in time, a little bit spotty, susceptible to various outbreaks <laughs> of things. <laughs> but we need to look at it as a living organism. Yep. Oh, we've got another question or, or comment. Feel free to make a, yeah. Yeah, make comment. your way up if you've got a yeah. question and we'll go through a few. Or, or yeah. a comment, yeah. yeah just so a quick question when you talk about, we're talking about uh, bacteria in the garden and all that. Mm. If your soil dries out and you've been working on an organic garden, can you put wetter soil on it and stuff like that or would that affect the bacteria? That's a fantastic question. So, um... So the, uh, it's, it's well known that uh, West Australian soils become very hydrophobic, so yeah. they repel water. Now, um, some researchers did a test on 32 different wetting agents. They found that none of them were effective after three weeks. So if you are going to use a wetting agent, use one of the more organic ones. The thing that created the biggest difference in absorption of water in the long term was the addition of compost, of manures, um, 
and having mulch on top of the ground. Righto. So if you use the uh, more organic wetting agents, then it's not going to affect the worms uh, or much of the biodiversity of the soil. Awesome. awesome. But the big thing is, is those soil inputs. Compost in particular, if you've got really, really sandy, sandy soil, you add clay. And okay. that's a permanent solution. Awesome, so, thank you. Great question. There we go. Question of the day so far. Make your way up with a few more. We've got time to, to answer more of those. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about um, our mate from last week, Grady Brand. Ah, uh, yes. Down at the, the Kings Park Botanic Gardens because yeah. there's a few things he mentioned to us last week and I think fit pretty well here today. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, g'day. Hello, I'm Janine. My compost was perfectly friable and beautiful but the pH was 12. Holy moly. It was the brightest purple... <laughs> I put it back in one side of the tumbler and put a whole pile of sulphur and um, uh, that white powder stuff you buy, you know, diamondaceous earth. Oh, yeah, but it's yeah. not coming down. Twelve. Twelve. Now, luckily, in the, uh, in the audience, we have a little soil expert here. <laughs> um, would, you like to, would, would you like to come up to the podium and oh. just make a comment on... People never think... That's a really good point because people never, ever test their compost for the pH. People never it, do it. Where should it sit? Well, for plant, plant life, 6.5 right. is optimum. So if you've got 12, which is extremely alkaline, um, you do not want to put that on... <laughs> you don't want to just throw that on your garden bed. Um, I'm thinking, Janine, that... Um, is your soil, is, is the, the testing kit okay too? Because if you've done all ah, these extra things... Yes. And it's... Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it sounds very... Yeah, it sounds very high. Did you bring a sample today that... Oh, what a shame. Um, <laughs> but, and adding the sulphur and things too, um, if you're putting them on, you've got to be really careful because you're actually going to to decimate the, the microbiology that's actually in there. And yeah, and so we, we, we actually don't sort of do, I don't do a lot around pH other than that if your pH is high, it'll be very bacterial. And if your, BA, uh, your pH, so what you're wanting to do is so maybe even try adding some wood chips because wood chips tend to attract the fungi. Fungi tend to be more into the, the acid side. They, yeah. they, they actually exude a, an acidy sort of thing. So um, maybe some try some adding some wood chips to the yep. yeah wood chips and some fish hydrosolate. yep yeah. perfect um, that's it that's a really good point because when people make their own compost they think it's um, wonderful and beautiful and fabulous stuff but in actual fact yeah <laughs> it may not be that wonderful so always ph test your compost yeah so that's something you should regularly do just to just to yeah, make sure it's all absolutely yeah snickety boo hey you know before you were talking about um natives and how they have a pretty tough life and like to continue mm. that when they're in there when we were speaking to uh grady who is the curator at the botanic gardens at king's park mm. he was talking about a lot of the work they do to to kind of uh, create some hybrids to make things easier to grow, but then to continue these natives so that yep. more people pick them up. Is, yep. that, is that something you're noticing around the traps too? Absolutely. So I started my landscaping business probably 20 years ago um, and went broke very quickly because I was so 
in love with West Australian native plants and wanted to do native gardens and no one wanted native plants in their garden. So how long ago was this? That's 20 years ago. Sorry. No one. No one wanted native. They said, oh, we don't want natives. They're woody and scrappy and they're horrible. And so now, you know, if I was in my 20s now, oh, by God, I'd clean up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Ahead of your time, (laughs) Sam. So now there's been a massive swing towards having native plants in your area, so endemic species in your garden, because it attracts all the endemic species of insects that can feed on those plants and mammals and birds and all that sort of thing. So places like Kings Park who actually, so all the botanic gardens around Australia, well around the world, do a lot of research on the, on the plants that, that are endemic to their area and they, they not only do they save species that are under threat and uh, will become extinct, they actually start propagating them themselves so that they get those plants out into the general public. So they get them to uh, plant growers who then get them to wholesale nurseries so that people have access to those plants. In Western Australia, we are really lucky because there are some fabulous uh, researchers and growers here that are now getting a lot of the rare stuff that's found all around Western Australia out into nurseries so we can actually have the benefit of putting them into our garden. I'd say in the last 10 years I have seen a huge shift to people putting native plants in their garden. How come? Is it an education thing? Learning that it's it's better for the area? There's a lot more information and education on West Australian plants. There's a lot more places where you can actually buy them. But the biggest thing is, is a change in climate. So as gardeners, we understand that our rainfall has dropped drastically. So the the English landscape Uh, that people put in, you know, that were still putting in 20, 30 years ago, those plants just can't survive now on our rainfall. And we are lucky that we have groundwater, but that is not... that's, That's not a renewable resource at the moment. So people now understand that with a changing climate, you have to use climate-appropriate plants if you want your garden to actually look good all year round. I mean, I love Japanese maple trees and ginkgo trees. I haven't got a hope in hell of them ever looking good in my soil and, and with the climate that we have. So what do you do? You just go to Japan and you walk through ginkgo maple forests and you get your fix that way. Don't try and grow that stuff here. It's not going to survive. We'll see you in Japan soon. Uh, I think we've got another question. G'day. Yeah. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Sabrina. JD here. Uh, saggy and depleted as I am. Um, <laughs> but um, we, we live in Boyer, just the other side of the hill here. So foothills. We've got three quarters of an acre. We're just renting it. But it's got a great garden. It's lots of bush, lots of natives. It, it really is delightful. But we've got an area of grass out the front. I hesitate to call it lawn because it's never been lawn. But it's in a shady spot. It's under a jacaranda tree. There's lots of other things there. And we've never been able to grow anything there. It's a beautiful spot to sit. Can you recommend or can you recommend anything that 
I can do to the soil or something else that would make a good ground cover that can be walked on rather than grass yep. because it would be lovely to have that spot. Absolutely. There's a beautiful little native ground cover called Dichondra, D-I-C-H-O-N-D-R-A, mm -hmm. thrives in shady areas. You will have to water it in summer. It comes from Queensland. But... Um, I, I use that extensively in shady areas where you cannot get grass to grow. So most of the lawn that we have requires sunlight, needs at least six sunlight a day. And if you're not, it doesn't matter what you do to the soil, it's just not going to thrive. Mm. Yeah. So if you put dichondra, um, you buy it in trays and you slice it up like a cake slice and just plonk in little squares, mm -hmm. they ev will eventually cover that area. Yeah, we have tried aerating the soil as well and trying yep. to add it to it, but it's very hard, compact. There's a lot, a lot of clay in lot there, but the dichondra will Okay, so if you've got a lot of clay, you can get liquid gypsum. Okay. So spray that on the soil. Mm -hmm. Aeration is really good. What you do is you have a party, um, <laughs> you have a gin party that starts at 5 o'clock. Yep. Invite... Anyone that wants to wear stiletto heels, um, put a dance, really good dance tracks on. They'll aerate it beautifully for you. Uh, if you if you haven't got that at your fingertips, then uh, you use a garden fork. Mm -hmm. And of course, that doesn't um, sound like as much fun, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near as much fun, Jamie. Right. Um, and uh, sand. Yeah. To okay. improve that drainage. All right. Thank Great you. Great question. Uh, incidentally, on the subject of snails, yes, I took the shell off my racing snail the other day to make oh. it go faster. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, it's a bit sluggish. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice one, JD. <laughs> I like it. That's the material you can hear at JD's lawn party coming up in three weeks. We'll see him there. Ah, uh, you got to have. I love dad jokes. I think they. I think, I think they're just wonderful. Yeah, I've got to be a dad first, but get into them early. Yeah, go on, go straight up. On, on the topic of snails, I can tell you all you need to do to control snails is just get 100 rats. Oh. <laughs> my, my, I've, I haven't seen a snail in my garden for years. I've seen many, many, many rats that use the fence as a highway... Um, and eat, uh, they love pomegranates, by the way. If you love rats, just grow pomegranates for I them. I remember and... in another life you telling me about your rat gun, Sab. Yes. So I'm just, I'm just wondering if you've, <laughs> if you've still got that over your shoulder, taking pot shots over the fence. That's gone? Well, you know, neighbours get really, they get a little bit scared. Oh, right. <laughs> they do in the city. Yeah. See, I have to do all that sort of action out in the country. They don't know how good a shot you are. <laughs> G'day. Hi, my name's Diana. Um, and hi, before I ask my question, I just wanted to say a highlight outside there for me today was the artichoke flower. I have oh, never, beautiful. ever seen this vibrant purple artichoke that gives a flower. The flower is oh, stunning. It was stunning. Yeah. <laughs> it was really stunning. But... Um, I recently bought two um, camellias and one is flourishing. It's still in the pot. I haven't potted it, put them in the ground yet. But the other one is dying and I bought them both at the same time and the leaves are going brown around the edges. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm getting these stalks with no leaves. So I'm not sure what the problem is. They've both been looked after exactly the same way. Yep. 
Um, so I'm a bit concerned I might lose it. So that's that's uh, that's can be a couple of things. Okay, so we so we have genetic diversity, a bit like um, like people. Some some are more susceptible to cancer or diseases or acne or whatever it is. So that's in the actual genetic makeup of the plant. Mm. The other thing it can be is you get a, a fungus that attacks the root system or a bacteria and that really holds them back or you get things like nematodes that go into the root system and they prevent the water and nutrients from being uptaken in the plant. So um, usually if, if a plant looks really sick <laughs> and looks like it's going to die, I like to dig it up and have a look. So again, observation, investigation. Um, so if you think it's with, with many of our native plants, once they go yellow and look really sick, there's no comeback from mm. that. So you may as well dig it up and have a look at the root system. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. And just one more thing is... And I've then buy another plant, <laughs> of course. Today's the day. I've bought uh, two wine barrels to put um, wine lemon trees. Oh, lemon trees. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and is there any... Um, bef- I haven't potted them as yet, so yep. is there any um, hints you can give me for making them thrive? Yep. So all citrus. The number one thing about citrus is it must have free-draining soil. So it's, you've got a wine barrel, you've got to make sure there's enough holes in the base of it, but it must be elevated off the ground so the water can drain out. Okay. So get a very good quality potting mix and in that potting mix add a little bit of compost. You can put in a bit of biochar, you can put in a little bit of manure and mix it all through and then slow release fertiliser okay. and she'll go gangbusters. Fingers crossed, thank you. Didn't know you could use wine barrels for that. There you go. Me either. Yeah, Jamie. just I use them for other stuff. I think it's a shocking waste <laughs> to put a plant. My takeaway from that is sometimes you just get a dud plant. So yeah. that's making me feel a bit better. Absolutely, it's just like kids. You know, sometimes you get a dud kid, which is, <laughs> you know, you may as well have three because you'll get at least one good one. Out Smile is an only child because it just <laughs> hit it out of the park. <laughs> they could never have got better. Jamie. I know, it just would have been too much competition. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, anyone else got any last questions before we finish up? Yeah, come forward. Hi, I'm Ellen, and um, I guess it's, it's actually more of a, a comment about the story about the clay, because um, I'm one of those people that think, ah, a little bit more, if it's a little bit, then uh-huh. maybe you should add some more. Well, guess what? I put the clay on my builder's sand under my lawn, and um, this year I've actually had to really work on aerating it to break it through, because I ended up with too much clay. <laughs> So you, so you made yourself a little dam, Ellen. Um, well, it's so much of a little dam that even the, the you know, like it, the water was actually sort of running off it. Ah, because so once it, yeah, yeah, so we've had to like to, cement. Mm. Um, yes. So, so, so that's a very good point to make. So whenever you use clay, it must be dug in the soil. And you're better off starting with a very small amount and adding if you need, rather than. So, good point. Good point, Ellen. Yeah. Thank you. Like salt in the cooking. Yep. Can't take a, it back out. No, nah, that's exactly right. Um, I just want to say, everyone, thanks so much for coming out. Thanks for all the great questions. Give yourselves a clap. Thank you for oh, being... Oh, we got one more. I wound it up too quick. Nah, undo that. Do, do those bee houses work, the bee hotel? Oh, so the insect hotels. Yes, they certainly do. 
Tell me about um, these. So insect hotels are where you can either buy them or build them. Don't buy the ones that, that have all the treated pine in them. Um, it's not such a good thing for an insect. You're better off making your own. So you can get little bamboo stakes or better still, you get pieces of wood and drill different size holes in them. So the idea of the insect hotel is to attract different, not honeybees, but different types of insects to come and breed in your garden and lay their eggs. So, um, so you have it up in a spot where it doesn't get the hot afternoon sun, where it's protected from the rain, a little glass of Chablis, some nice music playing. Yeah, just to create um, the atmosphere. Give that little atmosphere for yeah. the bit of loving that's going on in the hole. Yes. Um, and, yeah, they do work. It sometimes takes six months for, for the action. Yeah. No, no, they do. I have them all around my garden. So you can have, you know, eight, ten of them in different spots, different size holes, and they definitely do work. I think they're marvellous. Beautiful. There's a lot of love and action goes on in my garden, James. I know, I've heard. Yeah. I've been around there once or twice and seen it myself. All about the birds and the... He keeps coming out with them with his... JD's got the best one-liners. He's genius. I reckon we're going to have to get him on the show next week. What do you reckon? (laughs) Um, Hey, Sab, thanks so much. Great to see you. It's awesome to to do it in front of, like, real people. Yeah, and thanks for being our first ever live audience for the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Sabrina Hahn, and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA, who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentoniteWA.com.au.